You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim Irakadish. You know, Sam, even if you weren't who you are, uh, the preeminent uh, psychologist, I would probably have reached out to you over this week to just find out uh, a report on the pulse of the country in light of the Maroon crush or stampede or the tragedy, um, which I know is still gripping uh, people there and, and, and really world Jewry. And, um, you know, maybe the story is going to disappear into page five or seven uh, in, of world consciousness. But something says, something tells me this is going to linger for a while, more than, um, you know, a, a, a tragedy like a bridge collapsing or even a terrorist attack. Uh, there's something here that I think uh, digs deep into people's feelings and especially uh, the contrast between the moments before the the, the crush and, and and now, of course, the details. So first, Sam, why don't you tell me a little bit about what's going on in, in Eretz Yisrael now? What, is, what, are, what are some of the reactions you're hearing? I mean, I could obviously, our listeners could just go on the internet and find what the pundits are saying, but, but you're someone who's living there and, and you have a, a wide array of friends and, and acquaintances. Can you just give a little summary first of, of what's happening there before we sort of like try to take this apart from a psychological perspective? I will do that. So first, let's just make it clear. Um, some people want to know what is going on in terms of what is the story. And actually, what we have are a number of stories here because um, what's happening is that narrative truths have taken over the world and Israel has not been spared, which means that you call them pundits. But these pundits really represent several ways of trying to structure the events that are going around here within the context. And the context, of course, is definable by various issues that are going on. Um, and these are old issues. So the old issues form the uh, groundwork, and then anything new that happens is fit in by various people into how they perceive, shall we say, Israeli reality. Um, let's also throw one more thing in, and that's the insidiousness of politics everywhere, but especially in Israel, people live with politics. Every cab driver will give you his own opinion of what is really going on in the country. So we have several factors going on here. So let me just, um, I just read an editorial today in the Haaretz about Haredim. And what they're coming up with is that everybody other than Haredim see Haredim as people who are really a distinct island in terms of the Israeli tapestry. And it goes uh, primarily that they have their own rules, the same Shonos Mekalam, but other than that, that really, like I was reading from somebody on the planning board in, in, in Jerusalem. So the Haredim are building um, big buildings and they're taking up almost the entire sidewalk and and the idea is, well, that's what they do. Leave them alone. Don't, don't, don't get involved with them. Um, the Haredi, there's a complaint from a Haredi woman that the yeshiva has moved in um, top of her apartment and they're making a lot of noise all night. And the answer is, hey, that's how they do it. We don't get involved. We don't enforce the laws. It's almost like the lawlessness that goes on in the Arab towns where there's very little police presence. And the notion is they're a distinct group. Um, so... With that in mind, the general alum here sees a laxity in terms of um, building codes, in terms of crowd control, in terms of regulations, accidents waiting to happen, etc. And they see it primarily because the authorities have abdicated that particular territory. Um, Miron was given over to Haredim. And it's not as gauche as saying, you know, let them kill themselves. Not that way. Just saying, look, we don't get involved with them. They have their own way of living, their own rules. If they suffer, so they suffer. But this is what they want. They'd rather have that than have the, um, the proper agencies come around and enforce safety. So that's uh, 
one particular narrative. Yeah, the, the, let me just intercede here for a second. Um, I, there was a, a person, a, a very talented, I would say even brilliant person, and I know you heard of him, of course, uh, Nathan Slifkin who has uh, made quite a name for himself with his books on 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 the animal world uh, he has the biblical zoo uh, but he also has a uh, a contentious but really thought provoking site called rationalist judaism now of course Swifkin was uh banned and his books were put in Kherim, uh many many years not so many years ago i guess about 20 years ago um when uh, Many people in 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 the Haredi camp saw in it uh, elements uh, that of of, of uh, an agreeing with what scientists were saying that in their mind bordered on Kfira, and his books were banned, and it caused Nathan Slifkin to uh, sort of now be and and to decide to associate himself with the rationalist ideas of Judaism. And I guess what you would call uh, the the modern orthodox uh, mentality, and to sort of, and, and, and he throws salvos against the Haredim, um, although it, it isn't done with a ferocity, but it's definitely done sometimes with a poison pen. Uh, so Slifkin, and uh, in his uh, article about this, his articles and his his, his responses, uh, um, you know, uh, have mentioned that um, Israel needs to grow up, uh, the Haredi community needs to grow up, like you're saying, and realize we're, we're, we are a big town. We are, this isn't where you're trying to cut some corners uh, in, in, in some, uh, that you're, you're part of New York City somewhere and you're trying to uh, adjust and, and get your building done uh, because you wanna get your yeshiva open. We need to realize that we are the government. This country is ours. And um, uh, the idea of maybe in Europe, everything was paying off, as you said, like in these Arab countries or in Europe, you know, you pay off the inspector uh, and at least you have a thriving life. There needs to be a meeting of the minds and understanding that people who are people and they might be flawed, but this is all part of, of a country and, 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 and they need to be part of this country. Uh, and the way you're part of the country is by understanding that they're experts about codes, they're experts about crowd control, they're experts about building responsibility. And that, he said, is an attitude that is missing, uh, perhaps, maybe not even just in the Haredi world, maybe it's missing in other places as well. This is what his message was. And I think it aligns uh, pretty much to what you're saying, correct? That um, that the... Uh, yeah, you're right. There's an abdication to Haredim, but there's also a recognition, sort of what Shia Leibowitz said in the 50s. We can't use the same uh, halachic or social constructs that we did when we didn't have our own country, when we were being served by sometimes um, uh, authorities who were corrupt or whatever it was. Uh, that was one thing. But we right now we have to understand we this is a, a country that that is ours and the people who are working for it, not just the Zaka members, but the people who are working to trying to create a safe environment are, are is you as opposed to the other. And I think that it, I think that message, although I many times disagree with Slifkin, um, I, I think that's a, a, a good code. I think that's a good message to be said. Just to get your your thoughts on it, maybe it does it doesn't add much to to your point, but I, I think it's a way to take it away from the Haredi, um, uh, the the hatred to, from the Haredim, but rather appealing to them to see things in a more global way. No, it definitely um, um, coincides with a lot of what I'm saying, but I just have to say there's another layer over here which is not as. Um, um, shall we say, pleasant to conceptualize, and, and that is the um, the notion that uh, Miron specifically is run by a limited number of, shall we say, Haredi warlords, and it's Haredi people who are in charge there, who are aware that the tashtit, that the, um, the um, infrastructure has to be corrected for safety reasons, but they fear that if the government agencies come in, they will lose their monetary grip. They get 
many, many thousands of dollars from each of these um, uh, Haredi um, um, functionaries who light, you know, th- these things are sold almost like fiefdoms. You know, you can have the 12 to one o'clock spot for the um, bleachers and for the lighting in turn for which you pay loads and loads and loads of money, even permits to get in for certain groups before and, or, after, or afterwards or during. There actually is a mafia-like um, um, structure there of government. So the notion is that they probably would wouldn't mind having safety features so long as it doesn't reduce the number of people because the number of people translates somehow into funds they can accrue and also so long as it doesn't uh, weaken their stranglehold on the comings and goings there which translates into money. This is a cynical perspective that I've seen written up only in the Haredi um, um, media, not in the general media. So I wouldn't call it anti-Semitic. It may be a sectarian kind of accusations back and forth, but this is there. Wow. You know, it's almost it's, like, it's, it's again, just to use a, um, you know, a, like my wife hates it when I uh, puncture the balloon of, let's say a movie. And, and since I know a lot about movie making, when we talk about the, the, the scaffolding and the structure behind the event, it, it reduces it to, uh, and you can see the, the ugly little details. Uh, we talk about Marone, and again, before the, 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 the terrible destruction, I think you, even you, Sam, would have been sort of some sort of, would stir something in your heart to have seen uh, this dancing in place and to hear the singing in one voice. And, you know, the, it, it definitely is something, but. It, Let me it, just jump in. Let me just jump in. The something that it would do would be the same kind of thing that would come up to me uh, at Woodstock, but no more. Yeah. Okay. But 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 or but you... Uman or Uman for that matter. Yeah. Okay. But but there is something there that is 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 a chavaya, and it's something that 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 and that's the reason why so many videos are being made of it because the people felt is so impressed, and what you're doing now is 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 telling us that. Now that this this tragedy has occurred, the scaffolding behind stuff—and I'm talking about the literal scaffolding, but the money and the and and and, and the process—is now being laid bare. Power. And that and that's being laid bare. And when you and when you're looking at that, that really sours the the the, the whole story. And, it sullies it. I think sully is the right. Yes, yeah, it sullies it. It sours. It causes a person to say, "Oh boy, well, is it all worth it?" Um, and it makes it, it really creates just like in a movie. It's all artificial. You know, you knew it was artificial to start out with, but when you get those grimy details about the monies that have to be paid and the way the slots work and the way this guy has to be paid off and what gets pushed in, you realize that the event is really a fantasy, and 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 it's a fantasy that many people love to be part of. But here again, is 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 it real spirituality? And I can tell you another drive just among the Haredi factions these days, there's a a horrible scourge in in, in Israeli language, and that is being a friar, being a sucker. And a lot of them are realizing they really are suckered in to this general uh, uh, drama because it serves some people's um, monetary or political um, purposes. And that makes some Haredi resentful of, hey, you know, I've been suckered into doing something with spiritual um, um, little um, party favors, but really this is being done by a few people who are doing this for reasons that don't um, resonate with me at all. So that's there as well. Let me just mention that just to, to finish this um, Haredi chapter so you can move on to something more conceptual. Um, the um, kind of attitude about this destruction among now, not the, not the Orthodox, not the Dati Umi crowd, but among Chilonim, is basically they're doing this to themselves, let them. And with COVID for a while, that was the same kind of perception. They don't want to wear masks. They don't want to vaccinate. Fine. So they'll just destroy each other. And then the crowd started getting upset when they started, in, according to their perception, bringing the infection to the general population. So here that last step hasn't happened. But the first step is still, okay, so the Haredim want to get together, and they, of course it's a they, even though each citizen is not involved with this, but they see it as a they. They decide they don't want to have safety. 
they decide that they want to defy um, government uh, prescriptions, let them. They're basically killing themselves. So at this point, it has not leaked to the second part yet where people start resenting it personally because these guys let them do it to themselves. They want to go ahead, have a good time, knock yourself out. But what happened with COVID is that people started getting furious at the Haredim personally for putting everybody else in danger, allegedly. Here, that has not happened. So it is contained in terms of the um, mentality of people saying, okay, so let's say you would find out that there's um, a, a Jonestown group over here that get together, do Meshuggah things, and then poison themselves. People wouldn't get so upset. So the general Chiloni crowd is not so upset, except those who really feel um, that they are part of the Jewish people. These are my brothers and sisters, but there's been enough enmity here for people not to see the Haredim. Chalonim do not see the Haredim as their brothers and sisters. Not really. They see them as flakes. The flakes that are segregated and want to do their own thing and want to have nothing to do with it. And then, of course, Natura Carter comes into the image. Not only this, they hate us, which most of them don't, but that image comes up. So they're really separated. It's a them. People are not so upset on a personal level. People are more upset at the enforcement uh, authorities that they, uh, the safety authorities that they have not gone ahead and made this safe for all citizens. So it's a time against the system that's not safeguarding some flaky um, um, subdivision of the population. Again, it really speaks to something which I think is we're all very aware of that the fissures and and breaks between the Haredi and secular community is so strong that even the heartbreaking images of these 45 people, just seeing them alive and smiling, that collage that was put together, you're saying it probably would not really move the average secular Israeli accuser, seeing these names. it's It's like junkies overdosing primarily. Junkies are overdosing. Okay, well, it's terrible. Some of those junkies are decent people and they got dragged in. But what can we do? We, we, can't, we can't help it. And also, let's not forget, the notion over here is that they themselves have blocked anything from happening. Like, for instance, um, the COVID restrictions were not at all enforced there. Safety restrictions were not I because they have a powerful um, a voting block, and especially with the voting situation now, as it is chronically in the, in the, um, in the balance. So, of course, the politicians and the... Um, enforcement officials who are beholden to the politicians can't afford to alienate and get these people angry because then there's coalition problems. So that is the the cynical undercurrent behind it all, which really makes the general Israeli say, you know what, leave me alone. You want to twist all the uh, the governments and the politicians' arms so they don't enforce things for your safety? You do that. Uh So... Yeah, just to uh, push back a second, and I know you don't ascribe to it, but just for if our listeners' uh, sake and for my own sake, uh, if most of the people that were there were vaccinated, um, right, this huge event, but most people were vaccinated who were there, right? Isn't most right. of the Israelis... But, but there are enough people there who are going to get sick because there are enough people there who were not vaccinated and this is their chance to have mass exposure, of course. And then if you also think of the meta issue that's going on here, the reason why the Israeli health ministry is insisting on having some kind of distancing and masking regulations is because they are afraid that among those who are not vaccinated, including children, the virus will bounce around and then perhaps mutate to something that forms a danger. First of all, a much stronger danger to the non-vaccinated, because the right now the infection rate, even of those, I mean, the the, uh, the um, getting very sick rate of people who are not vaccinated is not as high as it would be if this place were overrun by the Indian variation or others. So there's a danger of many more casualties within the non-vaccinated. And then there's always the specter that they're really terrorized of that it will break through the vaccination barrier if there are enough mutations. So there is a logic there, and that was ignored for yeah, the, uh, but is that fear really was neither of us are uh, it, it's not it's more your field than mine but is that really a real fear that 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 statistically would be an issue that someone who is fully vaccinated could still become ill because of like you say these breakthroughs oh, i know it's oh, a possibility yeah no ill it has happened it has happened ill um ill to the point of hospitalization it has not happened yet but again there's a cautious 
I don't blame them that we don't know enough about this. So the health ministry takes the stance, we don't know enough. So it's worth an ounce of prevention, so to speak. But again, the, this is not a concept which is alien to Haredim specifically. It's alien to them just happenstantially because it interferes with the practical um, monetary or political or power issues that go on. Yeah, you know, you know, Sam, I've never been to Marone uh, during Lag Bomer, but I sort of feel that the intensity of of emotion that was that we did see on display with all the 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 handheld videos was probably a reaction i'm sure to the year of the lockdown and to the sense of oppression and i think although when it has to do with shimbra yochai or a graveyard or a cemetery or a mokum i'm not sure but i think part of it was an exaltation that the period is in our past that god that now the teva is opened up uh, Noah's Ark is open. We can now walk on, we can now uh, exit, and we can now thank God for keeping us alive and maybe even bringing us the vaccine. I think that was part of what was uh, yes. what was going on it, there. It was, it was Exodus out of Egypt. There's no question. That's the ecstasy that there. And that's felt in other places too, including in the bars in Tel Aviv and at parties that people are, it's sure, you're out. You're out of, uh, out of prison. And so, that's their enthusiasm. And... Um, as far as, let's say, those who are paranoid about infection, they dread this because no masks around, people are overdoing it, and they're basically making sure that if there's a chance of anything going horribly wrong with the current uh, status quo with this virus, this will be it. This will yeah. be the uh, Maccabre Patish. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily ascribe to that because from a conservative point of view, nothing has been shown to really pose a danger to um, vaccinated people to the point that they really become endangered allies. That has not been here yet, but of course that's inductive and scientifically you can't rule that out. That's why the FDA usually has in non-emergent situa- situations, they require five or 10 years of, of um, inoculation um, experimenting before they come up with something. Okay, fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think Sam, if uh, this tape ever gets into the hands of the secular media press, I think they'll find... Sam Juni is quite capable of discussing and describing and 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 and, and making comprehensible what's happening. But I actually that's not the reason why we decided to get together. Um, and you that's because of course of of your expertise and of who you are. So I want to really zero. I want to move past that. Um, if you and I know you want to as well. Uh, sure. Let me just set it up in the following way from my world. You know, one of the things I did to try to cope with this was to re-examine this whole phenomena of visiting uh, a cemetery, of visiting the, the this gravesite of a saint, and really combined it really with this whole uh, thing that we know is so part of, I know, our lives, my life and yours, which is visiting our own parents' graves and going uh, to to places beyond the honor of of, of laying someone to rest but to return to those places and to pray at those places, which is really what before the, the orchestra and the music and the dancing and the singing was what about. There was, it was considered a place to go and somehow, whether you're, whether you're praying directly to the, to the person who has died, and this was the, where that person's body was laid to rest, it, 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 was, it was a place to go through a cathartic experience of, of prayer and crying and, and begging and there was, of course, a, a history of miraculous answers that were and, and, and salvations, just like we have in the Christian world, going to the sites of various saints and, and, and throwing away your crutches. That is what was a, that's really what this was about uh, before uh, everything else you're talking about. And I thought it would be worthwhile examining it. Now, I can talk about it from a halachic perspective because there are big issues about this. And, and, and maybe if there's time, I'll mention a couple of little points, but I would like to ask you from your perspective. Now, you know, uh, this idea of, of, of going to the ancestors and going to the person who's gone, going to the cemetery, um, something which I think in a conversation that we had privately a number of days ago, you admitted that you're not uh, immune to as well, that you also go and visit the, the sites of, of, of the internment of, of your parents. So why don't you speak about this uh, in general, from a, in terms of the saint 
going to the saintly place and also going, even dealing with things to your own parents. How do you see this, especially, and let me just end with this point, as it seems to be totally illogical and something that seems to be uh, something that can be dismissed as, 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 as ineffective and almost silly. Go ahead, Sam. You're asking me two questions. I'm happy to talk about both. I think what makes sense is to first talk about the issue in general before we get personal. I don't mind being personal. I kind of get a kick of exposing myself in some way. But okay, let's talk about the general issues. I just actually, in the swimming pool today, I met this Messianic Jew and uh, I was having a conversation with him and he was saying that the entire idea of going to, of course, everybody's talking about luck bomber, that'd be the wrong thing. The entire idea of going to saints, he feels is something that's Christian and not Jewish. And then the Christians basically picked it up from the pagans. So the notion, of, and again, I, I, I know something about that because I've witnessed firsthand the, um, the um, uh, visits to the cemeteries um, in Mexico. I forgot the name, something Day of the Dead, I think it is, that people go to the cemeteries and they celebrate. It's a whole sure. big, right, yes, that is what we, what, what has ba- been bastardized as Halloween. Halloween, is, yes. It's yes. in Mexico, a three-day uh, service, which is festival. a few... It, yeah, a festival. It's a fusion of, of Christian ideology plus what was there in the uh, in the old Indian culture. Yes, yes. So what this, what this Messianic Jew was telling me, he doesn't like to be called Messianic Jew, so if you're listening to this podcast, sorry, I forgot the label that you prefer. Sorry, sir. All right. But the notion is that um, this was something pagan, and the Christians picked it up, and as far as you see it, thank God we Jews have not picked it up. He's not so correct that we've not picked it up, so it's there. Um, that's around, and uh, in terms of Israeli I mean, Jewish history, and you can collect, correct me on this, the way I see it is that this was mostly um, championed by the Sephardim uh, many hundreds of years ago, excluding rational people like the Rambam, and then it was picked up by Hasidim, who picked up uh, going to the Rebbe, obviously Uman is the classical um, uh, archetype, but there are others as well. You go to the Rebbe and you pray. So that, that's the, uh, the culture that exists to some extent. And like Bomer itself, that as you well know, is primarily a, um, a Sephardi kind of festival or holiday, which Hasidim have plugged into. And often, I would say from a cynical point of view, there were some Hasidim, particularly the Hungarians, who um, openly preached, I would say 10 years ago, 12 years ago, openly preached that this is something that's alien to Judaism. What is the thing about bonfires and celebrations? You don't do this, you sit and learn. And then, in an odd way, when they noticed that their Hasidim were joining the parties of other Hasidic sects who were into it, they themselves decided to make Adlaka. So these days, I don't know if you'll find a single Hasidic hamlet I'm not talking in Israel, everywhere, that doesn't have its own Hadloka um, celebration, simply a way of keeping their own youth within their own fold, saying, yeah, we have the same kind of um, theatrics going on, don't go elsewhere. But sociologically, this is something that's not intrinsically Jewish, as far as I can tell, with, I'm sure, some deviations. That's my perception. Right. What psychological need does it fill? The idea, because you can, there, there's a difference between a, a holy, sh- a, a, a building, which like a church or a synagogue or a mosque, and going to a shrine where a person has been interred. How do you feel it's different and what does it tap into differently? Okay, so let's let's talk about a practical example, okay? I've been to my parents' um, grave sites and always pass by um, some graves of non-religious people, it's a Jewish cemetery, non-religious people, where there are birthday greetings, often flowers, arrangements, um, where it's clear that people came to celebrate the birthday of a deceased. And they did this not as a way of keeping something in their memory, as far as I'm concerned. They were relating to the deceased. In their mind, somehow, they are connecting to the person who's dead. The person is there to a certain extent. And again, as you said, logical? No, it's not very logical. Can you say that it's anti-logical? No, because we have no 
proof either way to say that the soul is not there and that the soul doesn't really participate and maybe even the dead person in the ground hears everything and sees everything and actually just can't say anything or can't give you a message other than if you go to the gypsy medium and you pay her a couple of dollars and she'll tell you what the message is. But we can't say logically that it's not there. So it's illogical. I mean, in the scientific literature, it's called illogical. In other words, it's not related to logic, but it's not anti-logical to say those people are there. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the fact that people despite wanting to appear as logically bound, their guts, their machinery does not run by logic. The machinery that we have, and I've, I've preached about this a number of times, you know, from, from Freud's um, podium, that basically we are governed by the same kinds of emotions and pseudo-logic that we have as two-year-olds. We don't get that out of the system. So basically, daddy knows everything. Um, whatever you do makes a difference to everybody. You are the center of the universe. Nothing ever changes. My father will never leave me. My mother will never leave me. They promised, right? They're never going to go away. So we're still in touch. And that's something that you can try to intellectualize from a practical point of view or try to insulate it and saying, okay, that's the same category as nightmares, as fears, as fables. You never get rid of the the, uh, fables of the... uh, giant, they always stay, the monsters are always there, and you know, you say that, um, you know, there are no atheists in trenches, I think that's misstated, there is nobody in the trench who doesn't think with the same mentality and logic as a two-year-old, fantasies, demons, gods, whatever it is, that's how we think, now, we, most of us who see ourselves as rationalists try to structure our lives based on what we know to be rational, And just as, let's say, you would ignore, you know, all of a sudden you're in the middle of giving a speech and you have to go to the bathroom. So you say, okay, you say to yourself, I'm not going to the bathroom. I'm not a two-year-old. I'm going to do the speech. My reputation depends on it. My tenure depends on it. I'm giving a bar mitzvah speech or whatever is the sermon of Rosh Hashanah. I'm sticking with it. Are you not afraid? Do you not have to go to the bathroom? You do have to go to the bathroom. You're nervous, but you block it out. By the same notion, you have ideas that people are there, that people are controlling you. The whole world is full of uh, 5 million shadim on one side and 20 million shadim on the other side. Do you believe in that? It depends. Basically, yes. Practically, you keep that out. So it's the same thing, let's say, being nervous. As I said, you're nervous, you block it out. So let's get to the personal part as an example, okay? I go to my parents' graves. I talk to them. Uh, They don't talk back as far as I know, but I talk to them and I feel I'm relating to them. I feel very similar to my having gone to visit my parents when they lived a 15-minute ride from me. But in this case, they're not reacting. They're not saying anything. And I just, come on, before a bar mitzvah, before uh, any kind of simcha, when there's some kind of trouble, I go to them. I'll tell you something else. There is a Rebbe, okay, who is buried pretty close to where my parents are, who was basically someone that I was very close to. And I was close to him because I felt in my illogical self that he has connections to God and that he can do things. And if you want to hear all kinds of happenstantial events, I can actually prove it by inductive means, the way he was connected and whatever. I go to him and I say, Rabbi, please take care of my family. All right, I do it. Am I being... Is it using the same kind of logic I would do to fix my computer or to fix the leak under the sink? No. Is that the same Sam? It's not. It's a different part of me where the same one who is basically when I'm going to be in the trench, when I'm going to go visit the house of Seven Gables, okay? Alice, pinch him, okay? She would be there and I'd be sure she's haunting me even though if somebody would say, do you want to bet on this? I wouldn't bet a nickel that she's there. But I'm oh, afraid. I... I hear the creaking. In other words, don't. the problem with people is that they delude themselves and expunge a reality that's there. That's just like saying there is no reason for, being, for me to be afraid. Therefore, I'm not having a panic attack. You are having a panic attack. Is it logical? No. Is there something to fear about? No. Are you going to die? No. But to say that you don't have those fears... And what I'll tell you is that when people have beliefs, our beliefs are not based on logic. 
It's not what it's based on at all. Our beliefs are based on induction, which means experiences that you had, that you interpreted a certain way. And once you interpret it a certain way, there's no way you're getting rid of those interpretations, even though you realize they're phony or baloney. So I would say the logic or the beliefs that we have, I would put at the same level of emotionality. Zehu, but they're real. You can't deny emotions. You can't deny your beliefs. So people have often asked me, you know, you're such a rational person. How do you believe in God? I said, I believe in my mother. I believe my... You can't say that my belief in God is any different. This is me. It's part of my actually socialization or indoctrination. But when you indoctrinate and socialize someone at an early age, it becomes part of their guts. I mean, there's some shyness in, in really classic psychoanalysis. Can you, can you ever expunge the emotional rootings of anything that's happened in childhood? I tend to believe that no. Even those who say that yes, basically it's such a construction job that nobody really goes through it fully. So all they ever hope for is keep it from interfering with your life. And in most cases, it doesn't. So I will not drop something when I have a a question in an office, you know, kid is in an emergency situation. Do they do a surgery or not? I will not take off and say, give me 10 minutes. I want to to talk to my rabbi who is in the cemetery. Or if I have a day, I would not spend that evening going to the cemetery. I wouldn't do that. I'd rather research and find out exactly who is the best person to do this procedure. So yes, I don't let it interfere that much, but to say it's not part of you, eh. So what better way to actualize that is to take a day, go drive to a place. Hopefully you don't get trampled, but if you go to a place, people are excited. They get all kinds of thrills. There are believers there. And for a short while, you can go back to being a three-year-old and your mommy is there and everybody's taking care of you and everything is happy and nice as it will be last of life. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yes, I mean, you definitely have uh, uh, have revealed, uh, and I think honestly, what's going through your mind and and why you can continue to do this. Although, unlike I think many other of your friends and people you've grown up with and people that you live nearby, I don't think that they necessarily have bifurcated themselves and and have uh, exist on these two planes. I think they try very hard to make sense of how both can be true, that they can be logical, as we talked about in the beginning of the program, logical and, and, and sensible about putting everything in the right place, but at the same time, still recognizing the spiritual world. And the, um, you know, uh, to me, the part of what this is about is not just, and again, I'm not coming from a Freudian perspective, but it's, it's being able to make peace with something I've talked about on this program, um, is the fear of death. Uh, being able to, to, to imagine that you can speak to your, your dead parents and that your parents are still in a sense alive and Rashbi is still alive and they're all in an Olam Ha'emes allows you a certain sense of peace knowing that you are dying and realizing that death is really just a stage that is something which 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 can because otherwise we live in terror we live in terror of 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 not accomplishing what we can the terror of sudden death has occurred to those 45 but knowing that 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 world can somehow still be connected to ours that it's really just one world uh, and and in a way a better world is something that can give you a great sense of peace now, if I'm only at the church or at the synagogue doing that, it's, it doesn't bring home that, that message as much as it does when I actually visit the place of internment. And instead of being completely depressed that this is where all human beings end, places like this or uh, crematoriums like in India, like the images that we're seeing now uh, of, 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 of the COVID victims waiting to be burnt up, but rather, it's somehow as as the Morris Hamachbela, the 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 site of the burial of the patriarchs is. It's actually, in some way, a a, a bridge to something, in fact, stronger and greater, more vibrant and real. Now, you 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 might say that this is part of the fantasy of a two year old, but I think it can be developed in a way to manage normal life. Uh, it isn't. See, see, this is what I'm trying to say, Sam. You're living with a uh, a, a dichotomy, 
and you're scratching this part of yourself and now going on and writing a, a groundbreaking paper based on a forensic psychology and understanding the world. And then you're going back to this other part of you in order to dab in minchar to do something else. It's all part of that primitive child mind, which you can somehow work. What I'm suggesting is, is that perhaps what it's also about is ameliorating and blunting the inherent fear of death that we all have and, and, and going to that place. And especially, oh, oh, let's talk about a life well-lived. You know, I'm, I'm going to take it out of Shimon Bar Yochai. One of the places that I feel, and I, and I was only there once or twice, going to the Lincoln Memorial in, um, in, in Washington, D.C., um, th- there's a great uh, clip in a, in, a, in a classic film, you can get it online, um, called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and perhaps you've seen the film. And it's really sure. about uh, corruption and politics. And it's about a young fellow played by Jimmy Stewart, beautifully, who's, who's a Tumim. And he recognizes what's around him is really a cynical political world. But before he gets there and, and, and becomes a victim of it, he goes to drink at the fountain of Abraham Lincoln. And I, I think even in, in a secular country like the United States, we have this idea. It might not be where Lincoln is buried in Illinois, but it's still the same idea that there is a, a, a greatness to people who have lived and there's a way to tap into that. And there's a way to use the wisdom and the ideas of, of people who are gone and still connected to your life here. And uh, so anyway, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's, ra- I think that's subtly different than what you're saying. And I think it's, it, it's a way that if, if you, if you adopt that, you don't necessarily feel like you're just this child that won't grow up. You make a lot of sense. I just want to throw in two little nitpickings, okay? When you, when you talk about the, the split that I and many others, I'm sure, who see themselves primarily as rationalists feel when it comes to their boogeyman or their underground or whatever it is, I don't really see it as a conflict. For instance, if I have a tense day, what I do is I take a hot bath. Now, the hot bath does not answer the horrible um, conflict that I had with a certain hospital minister about a patient. It doesn't answer the idea that I had this fight with an editor for a book of mine, which I lost that day. So it's not logical, but would you say that it's illogical for me to take a hot bath? It's illogical. It's a different system. I don't see it as basically, hey, what are you? Are you a scientist or are you somebody who takes baths? Eh, it's not a good question. Now, it's, I'm, I have different parts of me. Like I can scratch my back because it's itching and it doesn't have to fit in with my overall welcome showing of how ego works with superego. That doesn't bother me. Okay, so that's one little niche. The other thing I wanted to say is that you say that um, um, belief in the persistence of the soul and in the shamba, be able to relate to them, relieve some of the existential angst about non-existence that we all have to approach at some point or another. I have to say from a childish perspective, to me, it makes me feel very uncomfortable because I'm at my mother's grave in the snow. And I figure, geez, she is cold down there. She is confined. And I imagine these horrible, uh, you know, fictional uh, movies that I've seen of somebody who's buried who's still alive and he's trying to get out. And if only they put a mic into the casket so they can say something. Or if, I know some people want to be buried with a cell phone so they can beep you and say, hey, I want to get out. But again, in my, shall we say, a logical perspective that evokes anxieties which almost wash out any of the positive aspects of continued existence beyond death. Those are just I'm just nitpicking. I think that your your perspective of this is um, fairly consistent with mine, even though you wear a very different looking hat. <laughs> well, like I say, I you know I, I think that um, in, in ways uh, you know. You know, if, if, if our reaction to this Marone tragedy is to, you know, discourage um, this type of behavior in the future and maybe to tone it down, at least, um, you know, the Rambam has been quoted often. Uh, and I, I gave a sheer about it on, on, on this platform, uh, which people can listen to, where the Rambam talks about, um, again, the statement is written in a very it's, it's, it's open to various interpretations, but the, the simple meaning is, is that there's no reason to go to the grave sites 
of great people, um, that their words themselves speak for them. And, and, and I think uh, there has been a lot of, uh, although there are descriptions of, of the Arizal and others of what they said at the gravesite of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, there's other statements from Kabbalists about not going and about not exposing yourself uh, to this place of going to the place of the dead, going to the place where people uh, are buried. Um, and, and, and in fact, Rav Hirsch and others felt that there was, it's unhealthy uh, in, in, in great, it's an unhealthy thing to, to become obsessed with this. Um, and, and we talked before about, as you remember, Mrs. Shiva, there, there's an obsession that, that can definitely arise uh, by zeroing in consistently uh, in, in such a way. So I, I think that there's, the, the, I, I would like to see an intelligent um, discussion about this. And, 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 and to me, that would be much more, as we say in Yiddish, tzimzach, than to talk specifically about COVID or to talk about crowd control and to talk about charedim. To me, this event calls for a reconsideration of this whole idea of connecting to the spirit world in this way and to, and to tone it down and to, and to understand what it's about. Maybe I am, because I'm far, I'm thousands of miles away, what I'm saying really sounds like it's not really the point. But yet, the 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 optics i think demand it we're talking here about a, a, an event that we can point to cause and effect but it occurs at a place where people were trying to bond to the world beyond and in this way perhaps god is telling us to rethink this and to to rethink our whole attitude towards it it, it, it has, as you say, Sam, an important place in our psyche, but perhaps it's elbowing out other things, and 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 and, and we're missing the real point of of what it means to visit. Let Go me ahead, try Sam. a cultural note that really comes from the uh, the juncture of the, where where psychology meets sociology. Okay, and this is a point you can consider it flaky, but I want to throw it out there anyway. I think in the sense that we're discussing two issues here that are really part of the same template. We're discussing the idea that we have within society itself, the people who are into this kind of um, so-called regressive insular practices versus being people of the people of the world. Then we're talking about a split within some of us, including me, between the rational part of us and the mystical, emotional, non-alogical part. I'm wondering whether this is the same template, and you might even say that some of the friction that goes on between the two segments of the Israeli population is really just a reiteration or a way of expressing our own discomfort with our own dichotomy. In other words, what my rational part of Sam would say to this regressive, childish way of doing things is the same thing that the Chilonim are screaming at the Haredim. And in a sense, what I would like to posit in a cynical uh, psychoanalytic ploy is that these Chilonim are essentially projecting or using the Haredim as a way of demonizing part of themselves, which they are quite uncomfortable with. Because again, when they are in the army, they pray. You bet they pray. And they wear amulets and rabbit's legs and whatever else they can possibly do. And the, some of them will actually pick up some Muslim kinds of incantations. It doesn't matter. So, And they see that as being illogical. So here's their chance to externalize this and vilify part of the population that actually lives this way 24-7. Okay. This is a little bit off the accepted um, scientific way of arguing things, but I feel there's a kind of resonance there between these two issues, and then we're not just discussing one thing and then moving on to the other. It's the same split, but we're going from with outside of people to problems we're having within ourselves. Well, and I think that's probably a very deep uh, perception that you have, because the 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 passion and the venom, I would say, that's exuded on both sides 
you know, is, 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 is striking. Right. And, and, and that in itself is pathognomic. Anytime you find, at least in the emotional uh, treatment of patients, anytime you find an excessive um, excitement or enthusiasm about a point which doesn't merit it, that means it's coming from somewhere else. You it's taught me a- that. You taught me that at a very young age. <laughs> you Thomas, what's going on? What do you scream at? That's Why does the lady protest so much? Yes. And, and 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 therefore it might be that the commonality isn't as far away as 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 we think. Um, you know, the 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 idea that the Haredi life clearly is threatening. And I would say the it goes the opposite way as well. In a world suffused with so many technology and so many tantalizing and incredible ways to pleasure yourself, the- and rationalisms. Don't don't forget that rationalism it's, is also something that looks very attractive from the other side. That's so. Therefore, it, it's scary, and that really causes the Haredi world to to demonize any criticism that this is the Yavonim and this is the Nazis and the apartheid and these are the, this is the Erev Rav and this is Amalek of today. Uh, part of it is because what the lifestyle that is being exhibited is a lifestyle that in a way has an appeal. It's a lifestyle that, that within a step that person could, their, their ranks could be broken and <laughs> they could just join. And, and, and so the rhetoric is, is a shield against going over to that side in any way, shape, or form. I can just add a tidbit. You mentioned Nazis. Nazis is something that's used very frequently here as a way of demonizing people who who just don't think the way you do or do things the way you do. And of course, we all know, I mean, at least people here know, that whenever the cops come around and do anything in a Haredi neighborhood, they're Nazis, including when EMS shows up or when the fire department shows up. They're Nazis. Sometimes when the... Uh, um, um, Bezek, the, the, the regular utility company shop, they're called Natim. And I, I, I saw this great um, scene. There was um, a group of, uh, of some Ensila Hasidim of Meyeshorim that gave out this very um, entertaining video of what a Kiddush looks like in Meyeshorim on Shabbos. Now, they got together some people, I guess they were probably not Actors. very much extreme. Yeah, and they played out a Kiddush and whatever. And they actually managed to get one of the Meir Shorem shuls to let them do this in, the Chabad shul. So there was a huge protest organized by Eide Haredes against this shul, okay, for allowing this. And what do you think they were yelling? Nazim, okay? <laughs> they were yelling Nazim to Haredi people who decided for, I don't know how many hundred, how many thousand shekel to stage this. And these people are not doing anything they're not yelling, that they don't hate them. They definitely are not Nazim. In fact, they identify as part of the community. But Nazim here is a way of demonizing, as a way of saying, you're not just somebody who might be wrong or whatever. You're so wrong that you're as wrong as wrong can be. You're actually a Nazi. So that is just, I'm adding on to what you were saying, that yes, that is a symptom that what we are fearing over here, or what we are opposing here, is not just a little ideological question of where to do what and where to run a bus or where to run a train station or what kind of wigs or stockings people should wear. We are fighting, so to speak, for something that's threatening to take us down totally. So we will take out all the machine guns you have just to kill those mosquitoes because those mosquitoes can be our downfall. They can be our malaria. Yeah, and let me end here on a on a maybe a positive note. Um, and and we know that. Let's take a look again from a sociological hat. And here, I think I I've taught sociology and I have some uh, familiarity with it. We've seen in the last twenty five years a sea change in things that you we aren't so necessarily happy about. But for example, an acceptance of a gay lifestyle, which we see has now become quite accepted and it, where it used to be uh, hated, feared, the butt of terrible jokes. It's now considered um, you know, something to be proud of and something to applaud and something to actually uh, be very positive. Now, w- we don't agree with this from a religious perspective, but we have to admit that that is what is happening uh, in the world. And the world's mindset that the Western world has come to accept this. Um, we're seeing now a similar thing occurring on many, many stages in, in terms of uh, social justice and other things, where to think even differently 
uh, is considered an anathema and ugly. And we've talked about the excesses. What I'm trying to bring out, Sam, is that we've seen consciousness change by incredible public relations, by people who are articulate, and by using events and then giving it a certain uh, message that somehow catches on. I think that if we can take that, what we've seen, and the orthodox people who are involved in Kirov and involved in, 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 in projecting a more positive message, I, I think the non-Jewish world sociologically has shown us a model. One of the problems of, of making those bridges happen is that we haven't been doing in Hasbara a good enough job to explain the beauty of the Orthodox lifestyle and why it's a positive thing and why belief is good and why Shmiras HaMitzvahs can, can, can help you. You know, we, we preach to the converted and we do a very, and, and, and we sort of raise up our hands and say it's impossible. But yet we've seen these changes happen. We've seen a world that at one time ridiculed and felt uh, you know, the idea of somebody being gay was almost like the, the worst insult has now become uh, extremely acceptable. I think it, it gives me hope that change can occur without the Mashiach necessarily coming and, 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 and with the magic wand changing everybody's mind. We just have to be better at using the same tools that the woke culture and the other people have used to give our message out and, 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 and to tap into this commonality. Um, and, 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 and maybe this, the Maroon crush could be an opportunity to do that. I don't know. Maybe, as we're saying, it's going to be impossible, but at least we can start. And, 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 and eventually, just like the Stonewall riots led uh, 20 years ago, or 35 years ago, and happened 50 years ago, I'm sorry, towards a, a, a very an altering change in society, we can perhaps use. And again, it's probably going to take a lot of thinking of how do you change people's minds in a way to to dissipate this rift in Israeli society. Um, and, 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 and it would mean compromising in, in, in certain ways. I think about some of the strictures and, and, to, and, we, and, and not always be as strict as possible. Otherwise, I mean, Chabad understands that. Otherwise, I think we're dealing with uh, when events like this and they should none of them should ever happen again. Instead of coming together, we're going to have some of the sorry, angry recriminations that you've already discussed. Anyway. It's not just that, don't just put it in terms of how to influence or not influence others. See it also in terms of keeping your own group within because they're going to defect because there's no question that the messages and the attitudes of the outside are being considered by both sides. So the point is, unless you have some way of doing this, as you say, from a way of positive reinforcement rather than from uh, totalitarian or punishment kinds of uh, reinforcement perspectives, this is going to mean a, a real um, deterioration in look, our ranks. Look, the woke culture understands the best way to keep people within your ranks is to turn them into activists. Some sure. of our some of our young people who are necessarily dealing with these doubts and issues if we if if we implore them to be our ambassadors to to the greater world which means loosening the strictures they're going to jump into that and because they want they don't as a way as a way of convincing themselves exactly and 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 that will save again we we've we both know about this machla being off the derech and people there. This could really be a way uh, with with strong rabbinic leadership. You know, I, I once again, you know, someone, I did a podcast yesterday, Sam, where uh, the person I was interviewing said, you know, Rabbi Kivilevich, I really loved your podcasts about who we've lost during Corona. And, you know, it really brought home for me uh, 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 the enormity. And and I was thinking about this, and of course it wasn't all about me. I tried to get many people to speak, people who knew the people who had, who, had, who have died much greater than I did. And and talking to you, Sam, I really again feel once again the the loss of people like Jonathan Sachs. I mean, Jonathan Sachs to me 
would have been the perfect person to to mm-hmm. to to stand in the breach and articulate. He was the it type makes of. Sense. Make sense of the choice, and also to lead those young people, and to open up the same way he was able to get those stuffy Brits to use him as their as their as their main advisor. Jonathan Sachs and people like him, I think, could have been a voice to 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 sort of like create this change. And he and, and he was a person, unlike I think Slifkin and others who have who are bitter. He's someone I think that the Haredi world could also get behind. And see as a very important ambassador. And it's Not really, with the kind of hat he was wearing. Nope. He'll need a different hat. It could be, Sam. Sorry, but I think in that way, I think that, uh, again, you listen, you're there and you know better. That's it, my friends, I think, again, and hopefully with a little bit of hope from both of us. Hopefully next week, uh, I use the word hopefully 20 times in one sentence, but um, uh, I, I want it to be there. Next week, we'll probably have a, a pre shua show. Thank, take care, Dr. J. Catch you again. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.